welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. You, know, you can see they look like, you get to, you know, it's, you know he's kind of flexing. He's like, oh, he's like, he's, you, know, he's, you hear they sound like, you hear they're, they're, they're screaming, you, hear their, you, know, you get to hear their voice. And I'm crying, my wife is crying, and, and it's, you know, it's just the most amazing day. And I was just holding him, and I remember thinking, like, just overwhelmed by this feeling of, I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> like, God, did you provide a manual to this, right? Do I get a receipt for this transaction? The hospital, of course, gave me one. Again, more of a bill. I remember driving home on Interstate 40, and I had about 10 hours of sleep in about three days, you know, and I should have, I almost had the hazard lights on in the car. Like, you people need to back off, right? Do you know who's in the car right now? And I remember just being overwhelmed, though, that it was an opportunity of me, of, I realize now my life is not about me anymore. I realize that I take the back seat, and that now I'm in charge of managing, caring for this life that I've been given. I was in a sense a steward for something that I was given by God. In our culture today, we don't really use the word steward. It's sort of an awkward word. Steward. We don't, we don't say that. But if you're in church a lot, you grew up in church, we know that we use this word stewardship. And it does have a biblical origin in that in Jesus' day, there was it was an agrarian farming society. So... If you were owned an, a, a ranch or a farm and you were wealthy of any sort, you would, if you traveled, you went on a trip, you would be gone for weeks or months. So you would have to hire someone to come and care for your estate, to come and watch your stuff. You have to hire someone who was sharp and articulate and, and trustworthy and conscientious. So it was an important job, the job of a steward. And the steward would be entrusted with the assets of the owner. And when the owner would return from the trip, they would make sure that you were keeping charge of their affairs, that you were being honest, that you were you keeping things going, and that you were, you were helping run the affairs of the ranch or the farm. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning, before the fall, God says to Adam and Eve, you run the ranch, right? I put all this here for you. You even name the animals. This is for you to care for, and I'm entrusting into your hands. You run the ranch. So this implication of stewardship, it, it, it should affect every aspect of our lives, whether how we care for the environment, or we take care of our bodies, or we raise our children. All these things that we're being given, they're on loan for, from God. A lot of Americans, we and American Christians, we feel pretty entitled pretty entitled, especially my generation and the generation before me. And this is a problem because we're not entitled. We're entrusted. We're entrusted by God. See, and the kingdom of God does not measure a life by how much somebody owns. But lives are measured by how they take care of what God owns. See, the, the owner of the ranch will come back. 
In the biblical story, Jesus does return, whether in the moment we pass and we go from death into resurrection, or in the moment when Jesus comes in final judgment, he will return, and he's looking for stewards who are ready and willing. As he would say, your lamp is full of oil, in that parable he tells as well, you're ready. The German theologian uh, Hermann Philick from Stuttgart, Germany, he preached uh, during uh, World War II in Germany, and he tells that when he would be preaching on Sundays, he would hear bombs dropping while he's preaching. He said, one day I was walking on the street in Stuttgart, and I stopped in front of a building that was blown up, and I paused and looked at it. And, and a woman came up to me and said, That's, this, is, this is a spot where my husband died. They never found his body. And he said, he thought, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say at this point. Do I... He was kind of speechless, and she said, Pastor, I'm not asking or looking for your sympathy. She said, I'm here to say thank you. Thank you for preparing my husband for eternity. And here and now, for just a few moments that I have, and in the other services as well, we're hoping to give a little bit more of an eternal perspective on stewardship. That it's not a program, it's not something you sign up for, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, a, it's a witness to the world of the next world, which is actually the real world. And let me be clear before I get into some of this that how we use our money is not going to determine whether we get into heaven. We're Protestants. We already fought that battle. Um, we, it's not about that. How we use our money, the only thing that we can get us into heaven is by faith in Christ alone. It is a gift of God to us that we receive as an inheritance. And it's all by grace through faith. So it's not a works righteousness sort of thing about money. So let me say that. But when you hear Jesus' teaching about stewardship, he makes a strong connection between management, or the lack thereof, and judgment. I mean, these are the words of the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, he tells a story that's called the parable of the talents. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you have handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave or servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow. Hear an accusation there? And gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten. For all to those who have more will be given, and they who and they will have an abundance. But with those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for the worthless slave, throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a rough ending at the end, but Jesus does not mess around. The first two are investing well, and they are rewarded. They did what they do because they love the owner. Their motivation is his pleasure. And when you love the owner, you do what the owner loves. Your desires take a back seat. And the third is lazy, and he's punished, and he's selfish. And he plays on the sympathy of the owner. He's essentially saying, I was afraid. I know that you, you're not really doing the work here like we are, but I was afraid because you're a harsh man. He's playing on the sympathy of the owner. Almost, to him, feels like a legitimate excuse. At least I didn't lose what you gave me. But see, God doesn't want our bare minimum. I don't think that's the point. It reminds me of another story of a man who had a bag of gold and he buried it next to a tree. And every night, or once a week, he would get up in the middle of the night and dig it up and just stare at it like Gollum and Lord of the Rings and, and just sort of pet it. And then he'd put it back in the hole and he would come back week after week. Finally, someone realized what he was doing and came and stole his gold from the hole in the ground. He wakes up and sees that it's gone and his neighbors say, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying and screaming? And he says, someone stole my gold. And they said, well, what would you do with it? Bury it in the ground? You may just sit and stare at the hole. It's about as good as what it was doing for you there. It's a waste. See, Jesus taught on money not because he wants money. God doesn't need money. He taught on money because he wants disciples. And this is God's view of economics. That he's not interested in fear-based giving or discipleship. He's interested in faithful, selfless giving of disciples. The point of the parable of the parable of the three talents, the three servants, it's not to avoid being the third guy as much as that's important. But it's more asking yourself, how can I be the first two? How can I be the first two people in that story that are faithful and fruitful for God's kingdom? Luke chapter 12, if you're reading along too, um, Jesus teaches a lot about money. We could talk a long time, but we're just picking two parables today. Luke chapter 12, starting verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Do you ever have a brother like that? <laughs> could you imagine standing up to Jesus saying, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half of our dad's money. Right? And Jesus responds here like you would probably respond too. He said to him, friend? He's being a little bit snarky. Who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he just ignores that guy. He's like, I'm not going to do that. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. He had so much, he couldn't store it all. 
I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, that very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. If you're in church long enough, and you read stories like this, and, you're, and you've done well, if you're a wealthy person, you can feel kind of beat up. You feel kind of beat up leaving church. You know, Jesus said it's easier for the, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. And so you feel kind of beat up. But I think that's not really fair. Because in the eyes of the world, the whole world, of 7 billion or whatever it is now, we are the wealthy ones, the whole country. So it's not the issue of wealth. It's getting down to in whom do you trust? In what is your supreme value? See, Jesus' chastisement in Luke 12 is not toward his wealth. It's toward the sitting back and relaxing and thinking that he's an entitled owner instead of an entrusted steward. He holds, he holds his wealth with a tight fist instead of an open hand. And I have known many wealthy people over the years in my life who have done tremendous good for the kingdom of God. When I worked in the Billy Graham Association part-time for many years, this was my job. Monday mornings, I show up at 6.30 and I go in the mail room with 30 people and we open mail for like five hours. That was my job, just opening letters. Some of, it, some of it's from insane asylums and <laughs> crazy stuff like that. And some of it's like little widows sending a dollar. or it's, It was incredible. Children mailing money. And then you would also see I regularly, just me, I'd open up checks for $250,000. Now, I don't know if they cleared or not, but <laughs> I would see them. Just me, one of the 30, just opening money, you know, opening letters. And you think, if it wasn't for the giving of these people, whether the dollar or the two, 250K, it all made a difference in the kingdom. And because of that giving, the gospel got, is being continually proclaimed and preached through that ministry. So it's all important. We need all gifts from all people. But of course, it's not that money gets us into heaven. But Jesus implies that the wrong use of money, the wrong value associated with it, can cause a lot of problems. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Everybody, anybody ever been through there? Good on Interstate 70, east of Raleigh, and I lived there for about seven years. And Goldsboro is technically below sea level, if you've ever been there. It is a hot place. And so to cool off in my neighborhood, we, a lot of times we would go jump in like ponds and watering holes. And when you're like 9, 10, 11 years old, you're not a big, you don't really care what it looks like. There's like moss and scum and stuff on top of these ponds. And we're just jumping in. We're having a great time. Us and the turtles, we're having a great time. But after a while, we realized maybe we should be a little bit more, you know, picky about where we choose to jump in. And maybe we should find some water that's actually moving before... <laughs> We put our bodies into it, right? It's some sort of amoeba in our head, you know, whatever. So let's, let's, let's do that. So we started getting some better watering holes. And because you realize that water that's moving is the kind of water you want either to drink, uh, maybe, or you at least want to get into it. Moving water is better than stagnant water. That's the point. In the same way, the outflow is us and our giving. 
When we give and we continually give of ourselves, it's, we are allowing being a vessel of God in the world. It's like my favorite quote about this is Dwight Moody, a preacher from the last century. He said that God will let thousands of dollars flow through your hands if you don't let any of it stick. And I never forgot that. Because as long as you're a conduit, an open vessel, you're a channel of the blessing of God. But when you dam it up, it gets brackish and dirty and greed begins to dwell up behind that dam wall and pollutes your heart. See, the, one of the, Jesus taught a lot about money for a lot of reasons. And one is that he knew if you had dethroned greed from your heart, then you could then enthrone Christ. And even Jesus said you can't serve God and money. And I have thought about this, though. If everything belongs to God and we come into the world naked and we own nothing, like my son that morning when he was born, and we have nothing, and we're going to die with nothing, why does God entrust anything to us at all? If he owns it all, I think one reason is because he wants us just to know his blessing. That God just has the joy of creating. And he wants us, his, his children, to know the joy of creating something new through our giving. I'll, I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton where he says that, that God will, he loves to create so much. He's almost like a child that he'll, he'll, just, he'll make like a sparrow or he'll make, you know, um, even a possum or he'll make something else. And he just finds joy in creating. It's almost like a child. He'd say, do it again. Do it again. Almost like a child that asks you to do something again and again to the point where you're exhausted. And it's like God does that with creating. He just has this eternal joy about him. He's always creating. And he wants us to engage with that with him. To know what it means to have an open hand and to be a stream of generosity. Jesus never advocated for empires on the earth. People wanted him to, but he never did. But he was very bullish on the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, to store yourself treasure in heaven. That's where your treasure is. He said, don't leave it all behind in a barn. Why would you invest in something that's going to break down? It's sort of like keeping your money and annuities and stocks and stuff in an oven. Why would you do that? It's just going to burn up. Why would you invest in something that's destined to fall apart? He's saying, instead, send it ahead. Send the money ahead of you. But how do you do that? Every time you resist the crowd, every time you're kind and compassionate without getting a thanks, every time you take something out of your barn and send it forward so that somebody can go somewhere to tell everybody about the king, then you are sending it ahead. You are building treasure in heaven. The pastor Rick Ashley, he has a great quote on this. He says, what the king, what Jesus cares about is people. And this beautiful church, any church, it's a tool. It's a beautiful tool to tell people about Jesus. The empires of the world will use people to win money. And the Jesus people of God's kingdom will use money to win people. You see the totally upside down way of thinking about it? And then in 1 Timothy 6, Paul exhorts Timothy... I can't find it. Put it on the screen. <laughs> As for those who are in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. See, so much of the gospel, I mean, part of it is, yeah, if you knew where, you're, if you, knew where you died, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? I mean, that, that's a little bit dark, but that's kind of the, I mean, yeah, we, need, we do need to know assurance of our salvation. But another thing of the gospel is, when you wake up tomorrow, do you know what you're going to do? Do you know what you're going to do with what you've been given? Whether it's five bucks or five thousand or whatever. And also just your gifts and your talents and your abilities. Tomorrow, what are you going to wake up and do? Because the church of Jesus, we're not just marching into heaven. We're marching into the world to give them a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of the kingdom that's on the way. A glimpse of the renewing and resurrection of all things. And as it's on the way through churches and ministries around the world, we get to be a part of that. They're paying that narrator, but man, he's really good. It's really good. It's always fun to see yourself on a video screen, isn't it? Your giant face. It's great. We're on the internet now. It's everywhere. So whenever some of us joined a Methodist church, you stood up in front of the church and you, you pledged, you vowed to give things like your prayers. You said, we're going we're gonna to give our prayers to serve in the church, right? That we're going to pray for the congregation. We're going to pray for the world. We're going to pray for our pastors. We also vowed our presence simply by being physically present. Ministries are better with you than without you. If you're physically there, the church is better. It's like a body not having a foot or an ear. We need everybody's participation, presence. And then your gifts, not just your monetary gifts. I'd say the spiritual gifts are more, even more important. That doesn't excuse not, not giving the monetary part. But it does, the spiritual gifts, the giving of your, your time and your talents and all the other areas that some of you are gifted in. Your service, just all those things combined into one. And then your witness, that how the world sees your service and all of your gifts to Christ. As we go into this final time, I'm going to ask you to open your hands and look at them. I'm not a palm reader, so don't worry about that. I don't know how to do that anyway. You're going to look at your hands, and all of you have a gift in some way, whether it's counseling or, or and, and picture you're holding it in your hand. The first thing that comes to your mind, maybe you're good at public speaking or you're a, you're a singer or you're good with children or teenagers or missions. Look at your hand. Don't look at me. And look at your hands and picture that thing or things. All of you have something. Everyone. And maybe it's supporting financially too. That's one of them. But look at it. And picture it. And be reminded that people who change the history of the world are givers. They're creators. They're not takers. What if John Wesley never opened his mouth and preached a sermon? What if Mother Teresa had never cared for the poor of Calcutta? What if? But if we hold those things in our hand, are we holding the lit too tightly? And what's holding you back? from using that talent for the Lord? What's holding you back from keeping it buried in the ground as opposed to holding it open freely with an open hand? Really, whatever gift you're picturing right now in your hand, it's a burden that God has probably given you. Whatever you're burdened for is your calling. 
And really, calling is where your burden meets the needs of the world. Where your burden meets the needs of the world. We all have something to give. And whatever you're holding in your hand is fear keeping you back from releasing it to the Lord and gifts to the kingdom. Let's pray. God, we do come with hands open, praying that we are channels of your grace and generosity. God, I pray that we would love as you have first loved us. Forgive us for the ways, God, that we get scared and we think that someone else will take care of it or we think I'm not good enough or I'm too busy. God, we all have something to offer. Whether it's a pledge card this morning or our very lives, we can give it all to you, God, and know that we can say to you, God, it is well. When I give it to you, God, I'll trust it to you to be fruitful and to multiply so that other people will know about the good news of the eternal life they can find in Jesus. That that's really what this is all about. It's about you, Jesus. And everything else is just is, is peripheral, but it's about seeking first the kingdom and that you will add to us what we need, but you tell us to seek first you. So God, with open hands, we give to you all that we are this morning. Amen. As we go into our final song.